Men deserve toys too. Manly toys. With Goat Guns, we turned historical firearms into accurate miniature gun models. They are one-third the scale and less than one-tenth the cost. Our die-cast metal models come with intricate working parts so you have something to fidget around with during those work calls. Have a little fun and start your gun model collection today at GoatGuns.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to this episode of Matafile, where we're joined by Ms. Maisa Shujaluddin, who is a non-resident fellow at the Sanaa Center of Strategic Studies. She's an analyst and a journalist who works at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace and has written countless analyses and articles on the state of Yemen today. In our conversation, we talk about the origins of the Houthi movement, the radicalization of Zaydism, the nature of the Houthi movement's interaction with Iran, the relationship of the Houthi movement with other third-party actors in the conflict today, including the Al-Qaeda, including the Southern Transitional Council, and including the Hadi regime. We talk about why Houthis are non-representative of all Zaydis in Yemen today and where the Houthi supporter base comes from and how humanitarian aid can best be distributed to areas under Houthi control. All that and more in our conversation. Hello and welcome to this episode where we're joined by Ms. Maisa Shuja Al-Din, who is a journalist and analyst on Yemen and the Yemeni conflict. Her master's thesis looks at the radicalization of Zaydism and that's exactly what we'll be talking about today. So thank you so much for joining us today, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Can you just start by telling us what is Zaydi Islam and what sets Zaydi Islam apart from other sects of Shia Islam? Uh, Zaydi Islam is very close to the Sunni in practice and jurisprudence and and its uh, position towards the companions and the Sunni samples is very tolerant. But the Zaydi, the most, uh, there are two distinguishing features in the Zaydi doctrine. Uh, one of them, that Zaydi doctrine is the last doctrine that it is... Uh, connecting to the Mu'tazila, Mu'tazila school, philosophical, Islamic philosophical school. Uh, but this school in, inside Zaydism is getting very weak for the last three centuries, we can say. Uh, three, 300 years, I mean. <laughs> and the last distinction feature for the Zaydism, it is their theory for Imama. And uh, Zaydism is the only doctrine that justifying fighting against the ruler in Islam. Um, if the ruler is unjust, 
and someone feel that he's more qualified someone this is conditioned to be uh, is must to be hashimit hashimit mean that descendants of the prophet muhammad the people who claim they are the descendants of prophet muhammad if he feel that he's qualified um, and uh, he can and mobilize uh, mobilize tribes or fightings men so he can fight this man uh, this imam uh, so uh, zaidism has its uh, very practical <laughs> theory of imama and it is the only doctrine that justified fighting okay and how is Zaidism then linked to the Houthi movement or to Yemen? So what is the presence of Zaidi Islam in Yemen as opposed to other sects of Shia and Sunni Islam? Um, Zaidism in Yemen since uh, the 10th century, 10th century, yeah, 9th century, I'm sorry. It exists in Yemen. Uh, Zaidism exists in many areas uh, like Iran, um, sometimes Iraq, Morocco, Najd, but it didn't continue. It didn't last only in Yemen. It lasts until now. So Zaydis are only exist in Yemen almost. And uh, Zaydis, we can say they are one third of Yemeni population. It is estimating number definitely, but we can say because they are the north of Sana'a and uh, the southern areas around it, Sana'a, uh, they are almost Zaydis. It is a regional tribal division. Uh, the rest of Yemenis is Shafi'is. There, is, there are some minorities, Ismailis, Baha'is, Jews, but mainly the rest of Yemenis are Shafi'is, are Sunni. Zaydi, uh, the division between Zaydism and Shafi'ism or between Sunni and Shia in Yemen is, it is a regional tribal division on its first level. Because this North Yemen, North Sana'a, it's not the North of Yemen, which was known before the unity. It's something different. It's another division. Uh, North Sana'a, it is uh, a tribal area where Hamdan tribes left. Hamdan tribes is dividing into Hashid and Bakir. And it's known as Upper Yemen, even before Islam. So it is a division, um, tribal division, because the rest of the rest area of Yemen is there is no Hamdan tribes. Uh, it's Madhaj and uh, Kinda and other tribes are living there. Uh, so it's it is a tribal sectarian division as well. So you mentioned that in North Yemen or in Upper Yemen, you have a tribal sectarian division of societies, even today. Are all the tribes united in the religion they practice, i.e. are all the tribes Zaidi in nature, or are there different sects of Shia Islam that set these tribes apart, or is the sectarianism just because of the regional differences between the tribes? You know, um, it is the same, um, the same Zaidi faction, the dominating one is Hadawi. Uh, this is in Upper Yemen, north of Sana'a, and uh, there is our Shafi. Okay. And how is the Houthi movement then linked to Zaydism? Um, you mean how is it from what are they continuous with Zaydism? Did they influence to other, to other uh, Shia schools? You mean that? Yeah. 
Houthis, uh, they are uh, typical Zaydiv movement, I can say. But uh, they, um, first of all, they, um, they, they adopt some things, some ideas that um, are uh, somehow different than others. For example, they are always representing themselves as Shia, although Zaydis in Yemen always represent themselves as Zaydis, and they are believing that um, they are a unique school, is not belonging to Sunni or Shia. But the Houthis is stressing always on their uh, Shia affiliation to connect themselves to the Shia in other areas and uh, to the Iranian. And also, it's for the first time in their literature, for example, Hussein al-Houthi, there are some attacking to the Sunni symbols. Uh, and this is uh, for the first time in the history of uh, sectarian division in Yemen. Uh, always Zaydis uh, don't use to attack uh, Sunni symbols. The third thing that their leadership Zaydis, their leadership is a normal human. It is Hashemite, he is a Hashemite, but he is a normal human that can be criticized, that can be wrong. And this is what justified that the fighting against them if they become unjust. But now they are adding a, a kind of holiness on their leadership. Uh, they are, con uh, they, and they are. Um, Adapting ideas like uh, uh, we are um, we are not going to talk about any books uh, except Quran. We are only committed to the holy text Quran, and uh, we don't care about other books, even Zaydi books, religious Zaydi religious books. So they are concerned about purity. And they believe that the most problematic to it's they are like any radical group, any, any radical group. They believe that the, uh, any disagreement is a kind of division, and the divisions are not uh, something about um, diversity, no, it's something we can us and we should be united because all of the radical groups, as you know they are insisting in two things or they are stressing in two things that purity and unity also so they believe that the unity of yemenis will not or the, of the muslims will not uh, exist without one leadership and one book without unifying our reference and this is so simplifying uh, the situation because this book even the quran can be explained in different ways <laughs> and uh, and must be one leadership and they add a kind of holiness for this we leadership and they said he is alam alam means he is the one who um we can say uh, he is the one who represented the soul of quran we can say something like this so it's for the first time the leadership of uh, Zaydis is not a normal person is not someone that who are honored because uh, he is imam no he is much more than this he's becoming a, a kind of holiness on him which is something unique uh, or it's unprecedented we can say
you mentioned earlier when we were talking about Zaidism that in the Zaidi school of thought, anybody is allowed to challenge the leader of a particular province or or the leader of Zaidi Islam on grounds that he is an unjust ruler or an unjust leader. What happens when the Houthi movement conflates their leader with a sort of holiness, which is to say that the the leader has some divine authority? Does that mean the 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 normal people that follow Zaidi Islam or that follow the Houthi movement can no longer challenge this leader? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, but uh, you have to know that uh, Houthis now are not representing big parts of the Zaidis. Maybe most of them. Many Zaidis are against Houthis for multiple reasons. Uh, one of them, they are against Houthis, even some religious scholars, because they feel that they are very strict. They are influenced by 12, influenced by Salafis. They are not Zaydis that much. Um, for other Zaydis, and it is the majority, they believe that they are trying to revive Imama, to revive the Hashemite authority. And... Uh, uh, they don't like Imama. Imama was overthrown in Yemen in 1962 by the Republic, Republican Revolution. So uh, a lot of Zaydis, they are supporting uh, the rep- Republic and they are against the idea that uh, Hashemite is a privileged people in Yemen. Who supports the Houthi movement in Yemen if neither the Hadi-backed Sunni population supports them? nor a lot of Zaidi schools support them. Where does the Houthi support come from? There are, they have supporters. I mean, they are not supporting all of the Zaidis. I don't know how big their supporters or their anti-supporters in, in the Zaidi area, but I can say there is a big division there. Mainly the supporters of, um, of them, it's from the tribal areas, definitely. It is, it, it is a tribal area, actually, Upper Yemen. And um, um, many, big part of their supporters, they, they are supporting Houthis because they are against Saudi Arabia, not because they are pro-Houthi. So we have to consider this important factor when we talk about the soldiers and about how they recruit all of the soldiers because most of the people, they are against Saudi Arabia, especially after what happened and airstrikes and how much it killed and all of this. I want to come back to this in one second because I want to go slightly back into history and just understand how the Houthi movement evolved to what it is today. Because as I understand it, the Houthi movement started in the early 2000s and then grew violent towards 2010 when they directly antagonized Hadi's predecessor. Can you just tell us how the Houthi movement has evolved since the early 2000s to what it is now and when it became violent and when it wanted political legitimacy or wanted a state for itself? Actually, the Zaydi revivalist movement started in 1990 and there was um, attempts um, to issue some statements that is calling for integration with the Republican system and abandoning the idea of imama because it was an outdated idea. And some big Zaydi or some influential Zaydi religious scholars, they signed on this statement that abandoned imama system. 
But Badr al-Din al-Houthi, he is the father of Abdul Malik and Hussein al-Houthi, the founder of Houthi group, refused to sign that. That means that he's still pro-imama and against the Republican system. There are some camps that uh, Zaidi camps that um, attract. It was attractive in the tribal area that attracted many, many thousands of students. In 2000, uh, Hussein al Houthi returned from Sudan. He was in Sudan studying, as he said, and uh, he started his speeches. And there are, at that time. He, there are many people who surrounded him, supported him, and believe in him and his ideas. And his speeches were very, we can say, were very populist. It's <laughs> very simple, very direct, and it's about enemies against Iraq at that time, against the, uh, sorry, against the U.S. Uh, you can. Remember, at that time, it was 9-11, it was uh, Iraq invasion, so, and he talked about uh, the unjust ruler and the corruption inside Yemen. He criticized the Yemeni government uh, cooperation with the U.S. Uh, to, in fighting terrorists. At that time, the Yemeni government started to be worried from his... Uh, his, from his activities, uh, from uh, his influence, his growing influence in Sada city. And uh, uh, they ordered to arrest Hussein al-Houthi in 2003, uh, 2004, sorry. Definitely, we are talking about tribal armed men in this area. Uh, they, his supporters refused to uh, submit him and fighting starts between the government and Houthi group. At that time, they turned to be violent. At that time, start the war from 2004 until 2010, and Hussein al-Houthi was killed in the first round, and um, it were f six rounds of fighting, and uh, he was killed in the first round in 2004. And after 2010, though, in 2013, when you had the National Peace Committee and the National Peace Dialogue in Yemen, why did the Houthis defect? Why did they pull out of this National Peace Dialogue and gain control of Sada and then make, make progress towards Sana'a and Thais as well? First of all, um, um, they, the war started uh, end in 2010. In 2011, um, Arab Spring took place. And the Houthis joined the demonstration against Ali Abdullah Saleh at that time. Uh, they were part of this demonstration of the sit-in against Ali Abdullah Saleh. And, they, uh, and as you know, Ali Abdullah Saleh was overthrown from his presidency uh, or stepped down in 2012, at the beginning of 2012, in February 2012. After signing... Um, Agreement is called the uh, GCC initiative, initiative, <laughs> and the Houthis uh, they were against this agreement, but they accepted to join the National Dialogue Conference, which was part of this agreement, and they joined this conference, but they didn't stop wars actually, and they didn't stop expansion 
even during 2011, for example, the people are busy with what's happening in the capital. The Houthis um, forced the government governor of Sa'ada to leave. And uh, they appointed their governor. He's a famous arm dealer, Faris Manna. So Sa'ada in 2011 was the first governorate of the first part of Yemen that is getting out of the central government uh, officially. Not even only that they have big influence there and they are almost the real ruler there. No, officially they, there is no government governor there, no official governor there. And the governor of Sada is Houthi governor. And also they involved in fighting against Salafis in Sada uh, in 2011. And they in, uh, involved in fighting against Hajja tribes, against some tribes in Hajja by the end of 2011. So they didn't stop fighting, actually. And this was one of the things that many people were against the National Dial Conference, that we can't start a conference and start to involve in dialogue while some fictions are armed, are fighting, and we have to stop this before going to the dialogue. But the Houthis at that time, they preferred to, uh, to, uh, to take two ways, two par parallel ways. One is armed, one is fighting, and this is the true important thing for them. And one is political, is to uh, trying, they are trying to present themselves to as, um, a fiction that can be close to, for example, the socialists can be close to the Southern because they always represent themselves as people who were uh, attacked by the government, who were marginalized by the government, just like the Southerns, just like, uh, for example, Thais people, just like the, the socialists. So he always liked that to align himself with the people who thought that they were suppressed by the government, we can say. If that is the case, so the Southern Transitional Council today is also vying on the same grievance that they were against unification and they want a separate South Yemen to rise again. So indirectly, both the Houthi movement and the Houthi leadership is also saying that we are against the uh, the, the, the Hadi government and the Salah government, does this mean that why are the Southern Transitional Council not more friendly towards the Houthis if they share this political sentiment? And why is there animosity between the, between, between the STC and the Houthi movement? At that time, there is no STC. They did not exist. And we have to remember at that time, it was Southern movement. And Southern movement, it was from different or multiple Southern fictions. They are not organized, they don't have leadership. It's something similar to what happened in 2011 revolutions or uprisings when the youth, they are dividing, they, are, they don't have leadership, they are not organized. It's the same case about Southern movement. So there is at that time, there is no big bodies are representing the South. 
but Hadi succeeded that attracting some southern figures, uh, some of them in, from the southern movement, to attend the National Dialogue Conference. But the biggest parts of the southern movement uh, remain uh, that the, uh, remain in their position that we are against this dialogue. And um, uh, the same, um, they have a common enemy, yeah, it is Hadi. Both of them, they feel that Hadi should not be the president anymore. But uh, definitely, first of all, the Southern, they are after what happened when the Houthis invade the South and took control of Adan for a while, and they tried to take Adan at the beginning of the war. Uh, this was uh, this make, made Houthi for them as an enemy, as a northern enemy. It is a northern power, northern tribal war power, and uh, also big part of the southern powers are Salafis and the Houthis are Zaydis. Also, this is another issue. It's about also the fund, yeah, the uh, foreign actors and the Houthis is supported by Iran. STC is supported by UAE and UAE, and they are somehow against Iran in Yemen. Somehow, yeah. not a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, These foreign actors confuse me slightly because you also mentioned that in 2004, Hadi, uh, sorry, Houthi gained uh, popularity because of his speeches against the US and against US intervention. And the Houthis historically have not liked the Saleh support for both Saudi Arabia and the US. Similarly, Al-Qaeda is also against the US and you have small uh, radical insurgencies in Yemen, like ACAP or Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula that also don't like the US. Why do the Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula also fight against the Houthi movement as opposed to understanding that they have a common enemy in the U.S. and then banding that rhetoric together. How come the Houthi has made so many enemies inside Yemen? It is for sure. It is for sectarian reasons that both of them, they have sectarian na nature. They believe that uh, Islam is one version. It cannot accept diversity, cannot accept different people. So... Both of them, they believe that Islam one version, and we are representing the only one right version of Islam. So it's very normal that they are against each other. But I can, I have to say that Tuqada did not involve officially in fighting the Houthis because their areas or their influence, influence or their areas of influence at presence in Yemen, it's in the south and the east. Somehow, it's far from the Houthis. Uh, but maybe some members of them, they are involving in the fightings uh, again under different umbrellas, for example, the Salafis. And so, but for sure, they are not fighting America, all of them. There's no America in Yemen. It's just um, discourse to attract people because it's something popular to say that I am against America and America is against Muslims and uh, um, we have to be united to against America. So it's something just popular emotionally. And what is it like living in Houthi-controlled territories today? So what does the Houthi leadership look like as a governing body? So for instance, what is life in Sada like right now? 
what is the government in sada like right now are they helping poor people survive are they giving humanitarian aid is there any jobs that you can take up or is it ruled by fear right now mm-hmm. okay um, houthis created or established a barrier system to the state institutions first of all houthis controlled the state institutions in capital sana'a and this privilege no one enjoys uh, enjoys it <laughs> and any 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 fiction in yemen they don't enjoy this privilege because it is very uh, it it makes your mission very easy when you control the state institution and you have a state structure you have something you can build on it uh, so they um, and yemen was very centralized state before uh, the war so all the state structure all the state institution were in sana'a located in sana'a the houthis are controlling it and they at the same time they establish a balarus system network of individual houthi individual they are they called the supervisors the supervisors have the real power everywhere for example in the ministry the supervisor is more important than the minister himself and nothing important can pass without the approval of the supervisor the supervisors are chosen by loyalty most of them they are from sada from the fighters the, the houthi fighters who involved in their old wars against the government when they we, were weak so they are 100% sure they are loyal to this group um supervisors is you can, if they did anything any kind of crimes they cannot be punished the houthis are very serious in punishing anyone that committed crime if he is not houthi if he's not supervisor so we are talking about like hundreds of people who are immune and no one can um no one can say what they did and they have all the all the freedom to do what they want to do uh, stealing looting killing some of them they are god some of them are not but at the end of the day there is no one controlling them but they have hierarchy in this uh, in this supervisors and on the top of it abdul malik al houthi if there are some disagreements some conflicts between them he can solve it uh, i believe that houthi is using uh, power excessively and um, this created for them many enemies revenge people can be quiet for a while but not for long t- while for long not long i mean um ali abdullah saleh for example when he controlled yemen he was corrupt but he didn't use the force in that way he used it but not that and he relied more on how buying the loyalties of the people and uh, the corruption network of ali abdullah saleh was much bigger than the corruption network of uh, houthis the people who are benefiting from corruption during houthi period is much less than during ali abdullah saleh for example during ali abdullah saleh everyone in any ministry they have they have uh, some corrupt work that provide them source of living 
but uh, during Houthi, only the supervisors who have, uh, who can corrupt and who you benefit from this corruption, corrupt system. Um, I think the most thing that, uh, bene yani that benefits the Houthis and uh, enable, empower them, it is the war, the blockade. It is their excuse in front of the people why you don't provide services, why the taxes are heavy on us, why the um, poverty is increasing. All of the Houthis' excuse is we have war, we have blockade. And some people still believe it, but, but now the people who don't believe are decreasing because they found some really rich people in Sana'a in a very poor country, which raised questions to those people, what, from the, where this money? This means there is corruption that is taking place in this country where we, fa we are facing war and blockade. Uh, so this excuses start to turn against them. But this is in Sana'a, we can say, this is in the cities, and definitely there are some sectarian reasons for hating them in the Shafi'i cities, in the, like Ab and Al-Hadaida, the Shafi'i majority population, and regional reasons. Uh, but um, in the tribal areas, uh, they used to live without uh, state services, without state presence. Uh, so many of them still support Houthis because they believe that Houthis is protecting Yemen from Saudis. So the Houthis are historically, they come from tribal societies. What does this mean for governance of Houthis within a center like Sana'a or the center of an entire country? Is the governance becoming increasingly inefficient? Is like redistribution of funds becoming really bad? How is the royal mint controlled? What is the money printing situation like in Yemen? Are the Houthis capable of, uh, of, of, of creating a functional country and a functional state or not? They are not interested, actually. They are dealing with the state how, and what benefit them with the state institutions. But they are not interested to do... Um, empower the state institution to make it more effective um, because they don't trust it simply. They trust their people, which are the network uh, supervisors and supervisors, they don't have experience in anything. They are fighters. They don't know engineering. They don't know uh, security. They, they, know, they don't have experience in anything except fighting. So it's always difficult to deal with them. And they are from Sada, and Sada, it's a far governate, and most of them, they are from tribal areas, from rural areas. So many of the people who are living in cities, they feel they are outsiders because they are different than them. They don't understand them. And the, also the supervisors don't understand their communities because there are many differences between them and uh, he always behave in community with the communities as he is the super, superior than them so there is a gap between them and their communities or the, with the different yemeni communities um 
so I think they are not interested at all to build a state. What is the situation of the freedom of press in Yemen? Because you talked about, or because you talked about the Houthis being opposed to fiction. Are they opposed to free journalism as well? And how important is free journalism in helping understand the Houthi regime right now and understanding what's going on in Yemen right now? No, no, there is no, there is no freedom of press. Definitely, the Houthis against us uh, completely, <laughs> and all of the newspapers, uh, TV channels inside Sanaa or inside the, their areas. All, all of them, they are supporting to the Houthis, nothing opposing them inside this area. But um, now uh, there is a phenomena of immigration of the press and uh, the people who work in the press, most of them, they are outside of Yemen now. Journalists uh, and um, TV channels, for example, some of them broadcast from Turkey funding by Qatar, like uh, Mahariya, Bilqis, uh, Yemen Shabab. Some of them are uh, broadcasting from um, Yemen today, for example, from Egypt. So we have different places that TV channels are uh, broadcasting from there. So, but now it's different than it was. I mean that during Ali Abdullah Saleh, Okay, he's not a democratic president, but he gave a big space for press freedom during his period, especially the last decade. Uh, so, but now no one enjoyed this inside Yemen, especially under the control of the Houthis. And what do the Houthis want now? So we've gone beyond the point. So they now control Salah, Sana, uh, Sada, Sana, and a lot of Northern Yemen. What do they ultimately want? Do they want the entirety of Yemen to fall under Houthi control? Do they want a separate state? Do they want international recognition? What is it that the Houthi movement wants in Yemen today? The problem that the Houthis, dem the Houthi demands always changeable. And it moves from place to place. But I can say they are mainly they want international recognition. Um, they believe that um, that Saudi Arabia they must it must stop the war. But now at the beginning they were they were very willing um, or more willing not very willing <laughs> they were more willing to involve in a kind of political agreement with other Yemeni factions. But now they are feeling they are more powerful. And they don't need to do. Uh, and only the Saudis should sign with them agreement. Um, and they don't recognize, recognize other Yemeni functions because they believe that Yemeni functions are not, uh, are not free will. They don't have the free will to decide. So we are going to, uh, to involve an agreement with their sponsored states. Uh, which are this, uh, which mainly the Saudi Arabia. Uh, so I think they are getting strong, getting uh, more powerful during this war, and this make them less uh, less compromise. It's difficult more to make them compromise or um, uh, or agree with other factions because they are satisfying with with uh, their situation. 
they have uh, economy resources, they have their population, um, the biggest population of Yemeni under their control. And uh, there's an economy war, and a war economy that is establishing and they are profit- benefiting from it. What would it take from an international community perspective to bring the Houthis and the other factions of Yemen to a diplomatic table for diplomatic talks? Would it require either Iran to step into the diplomatic talks in support of the Houthi movement, or would it require all international bodies to step out of these peace-building talks, including Saudi Arabia and the UAE? Seriously, I don't know, but um, I don't have a clear idea about this. It's becoming very complicated. It's very difficult to say that uh, Iran or Saudi Arabia or United Arab Emirates, after all the, their investment inside Yemen, uh, that they have to back off and uh, just leave Yemen and don't interfere. <laughs> it's very difficult, especially that Saudi Arabia is a neighboring state. And they have uh, to be secured from their south, on, on their southern borders. I mean, they have to uh, feel that their southern border is secure and it's not under the influence of Iran. Um, so it is neighboring states. It's not like Iran or United Arab Emirates. They are far. So they can say, okay, we are going to watch this conflict and we are not going to interfere. But for the Iranian, for Iranian, I think after all of this and we are, um, we are, we, we win a card against Saudi Arabia and against uh, Saudi Arabia and this card did not cost us a lot. So we are not going to lose it. The same thing with the Emiratis, they believe that they invest a lot in Yemen and they will not step down or they will not leave this area and this influence that simple. So I don't think it is easy to say that. Um, I, I believe that uh, the, when the regional situation changed, I mean, this conflict is, you know, it's a vicious circle because no one will win. The Sunnis will not disappear, the Shia will not disappear. They have, at some point, everyone will get exhausting and stop this. But I think it's, we are still far from this point. This, yeah, this sounds incredibly complicated right now. And I don't know, I, I, I think this is why perhaps the Riyadh and the Stockholm agreements have also failed in the past two years. But in terms of humanitarian aid in Yemen, should the international community and charities be treating Houthi-controlled Yemen as an entirely separate country from Hadi-controlled Yemen or the STC-controlled Yemen for more effective provision of aid? Or should the way that the, 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 the most international organizations are concerned right now concern Yemen as a single country? Which one is more effective for the provision of aid? Uh, about the humanitarian aids, they are already using, dealing with the Houthi area in a, as a, in a separate way, to, uh, way because they have uh, authority there, de facto power, and they are dealing with it, with it separately than other areas. Because any, any aids should go to its uh, areas, they have to deal with the powers that are controlling this area. 
and they are dealing with the Houthi separately, definitely, than other areas in the south on Taiz. And most of the population is under the Houthi control. Does the United Nations or do international charitable organizations, are they generally sympathetic towards the Houthis or are they more aligned with Saudi Arabia in how they think of the youth Houthis as political actors? No, they have business there. It is a business, actually. It's not very charity. <laughs> so they have business and they don't want this business to stop. The Houthis, they are trying to benefit from this humanitarian act. They took some part of it for themselves. Uh, sometimes they force them to accept some Houthi figures uh, to be appointed at these organizations. And um, they accept because they feel they are going to lose millions of money if they don't accept if they are Houthis. Because most of the business in the Houthi areas most of the population, so most of the humanitarian aids directed to this area. Uh, that's a, um, so I believe they are not pro or anti, it's about their business. They are very pragmatic, I believe. Okay, great. At least that, that, that seems fair and that seems impartial. What will it lastly take the Houthis to come to a negotiating table? Do they want uh, do they want their own state or do they want the entire state of Yemen? Do you think they will accept if people say, ah, we'll give you Sada and Sana if you stop fighting and if you stop aggression? So what will it take? What compromise will it take to get the Houthis to a discussion table? For the Saudis, um, they will not end the war without uh, promising uh, the Houthi promise that they are going to reduce their relationship with Iran. The Saudis ask for immediate cut in relationship with Iran, and the Houthis said, okay, we are going to reduce it to the normal level. Uh, this is for the Saudis. For the Houthis, they want international recognition. Uh, they will keep their weapons, definitely, because uh, um, their real power is about weapons. It's not about their social or political uh, size. It's about their big size as military group, because they are big military group, but they are minor uh, social and political group. Uh, so they will keep their weapons. Uh, whatever is the agreement will be, they don't mind to keep unity of Yemen, and they say they are pro-unity, definitely. Uh, but uh, all of the people talk about federalism, including the Houthis, decentralizing Yemeni state. So this is one of the points that all of the people agreed on it. Uh, the Houthis, they want their federal state. At the beginning, it is the Zaidi area with cost because the Zaidi is only in the mountains. But now I think they want their, all of their areas, which is much bigger than the Zaidi area. And um, definitely they want their entity. And they, in any agreement, they will be the, uh, in the position of the upper hand because they are the biggest military group in Yemen now. And they are controlling the big part of Yemeni population. And they are the most organized. They have structure, they have leadership, other fictions are not organized, uh, they don't have structure. Most of them, if they have leadership, but it's not that united leadership. So in any agreement, 
there will be the strongest internal fiction inside it. Definitely, Hadi, Hadi, that he must step down. It is uh, the demand of everyone <laughs> in this uh, perspective. Except we can say the Brotherhood. They are still, they are still need in need of Hadi because he's protecting them from the Emirates. If they are feeling secure and safe from the Emirates, they they will leave Hadi. But uh, this what we can talk that this is the most general issues about the peace process in Yemen. Excellent. Uh, and I hope that despite the complexity of the situation, at some point violence will de-escalate and we can start moving towards a solution of the humanitarian crisis in Yemen. And what is the relationship between Iran and the Houthis today? Is it geopolitical or is it mainly sectarian and religious in nature? Um, yeah, I believe that there is a misleading idea about uh, about the conflict in Yemen. It is a sectarian conflict. They have to know that it is more complicated than this. Most of them, they believe that Houthi is just uh, um, Iran proxy, proxy in Yemen, but they have, the, I think they have local roots in Yemen. And uh, their relationship with Iran shouldn't, we should not exaggerate of its importance. It, it, they are getting close, much close after this war, but they don't share the same religious reference like Hezbollah in Lebanon. Uh, they are independent financially. They are de- not depending on Iran. They are benefit- benefiting from Iran on its military intelligence and intelligence support. But uh, uh, they, are, they are more local power. I believe that Yemen's situation is very dynamic. It's very changeable. Um, and the power, like Houthis, that is relying on power only in Yemen, on force only in Yemen, can't not remain for long because they created for themselves a lot of enemies inside Yemen. And we are talking about armed people who don't forget their revenge. So everything can change in Yemen in one moment. <laughs> so Yemen is an unpredictable country. It's very complex. And um, most of the Yemenis who hate Houthis, they hate him, them because, not because he, they are Shia, not because they are pro-Iran, because of, uh, uh, and because of other reasons like Republic, Imama, it's something totally different than the things that the people that the people thought about this are or think are thinking about this uh, conflict. Um, I believe that they have to know to watch Yemen, not only as Saudi Arabia, uh, Saudi Iran proxy war. It is also civil war from other side, from another level. And the Saudis um, don't gain anything from their military intervention in Yemen. And actually, the war is going in that totally opposite direction that the Saudis are aiming for. They say they are going to weaken the Houthis or to destroy the Houthis, to uh, cut their relationship with the Iran. Now everything is going in the opposite line. The Houthis are getting more powerful. 
their relationship with Iran is getting more close and strong. Lastly, Maisa, would you have any recommendations for news channels or for books that we can read to help better understand what's going on in Yemen today? Yeah, <laughs> this is a difficult question. We can say now that in front of me, the box of Sarah Phillips, Yemen and the Politics of Permanent Crisis. It's an interesting book. There is a modern history of Yemen for Baldrish. It is an interesting book. There is another book about South for Noel, Dr. Noel's uh, Yemen, uh, no, um, dividing state or something like this. I don't know. If someone concerned about the tribes, uh, we have tribes and politics uh, in Yemen, and also tribes, uh, tribes, um, government and history in Yemen. Uh, this is another interesting book. For the media outlet, I believe the coverage in Yemen is still few. It's not, it's not, um, but um, we can talk about, uh, for example, uh, sometimes New York Times and Washington Post, BBC, those the famous uh, media outlets, but uh, not a lot. They talk about Yemen. Monitor is a good uh, media outlet about Yemen. Um, Maybe personal accounts on Twitter works be work better with the, with the people who are interested in Yemen because we have some several writers and people who are following the situation in Yemen and Twitter, but also it needs to enable translation <laughs> in your Twitter. There is a Yemeni website. But I think the English version stopped. It is a Mazdar online. It was good. And Sana'a Center, they have monthly review of Yemen, which is also interesting if anyone wants to follow what is going update, what are the updates, the monthly updates in Yemen. Uh, so we can register and follow it. <laughs> I think those are all great recommendations. And I would recommend following Maisa on Twitter because she is excellent and offers some really, really good insight in, as to what's going on in Yemen. Thank you so much for joining us today, ma'am. It's been great having you and it's been a really, really interesting conversation. You're okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.